Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. It was the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. It's like I've always said about this Premier League season. Andrea Bocelli can bang out a hell of a tune. Owen Ken and Murphy here with the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast. Looked like a whole lot of fun at the King Power Stadium, i got to say. You've always said that. I've always been saying it this season, yeah. I've always felt it was going to come down to Andrea Bocelli one way or the other. Mm. And finally, it has come to pass. It was it was, uh, it was a nice way for the season to end, I Well, suppose. it really was. He, yes, yeah, he hammered out Nessun Dormer and the less heralded time to say goodbye. That less was, heralded, but... No, uh, as in less heralded after his performance. More Every, famous for him, really, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, but everybody said, oh, he, he's he did Nessun Dormer and kind of forgot about the, his second... I think, I think the, the Leicester fans didn't really know what to do with Andrea Bocelli. You know, the, the, yeah. you know. I mean, it, it, it was obviously amazing. I was watching it, thinking, "This is quite something. Yeah. This is really something very different." And uh, fair play, well yeah. done, well, Leicester City for well, hiring Andrea Bocelli. Well, well done, Ranieri for asking your mate to do it. Um, yeah, but I mean, you know, whatever. You yeah. know, I mean, as, as a club, they decided to to just go with Ranieri. You know, just feck it, Andrea Bocelli, something different, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but I mean, if you're if you're will, a we, go, will we go for Kasabian there from Leicester? No, we'll go for... Mark Morrison. Andrew. I mean, he oh, yeah. would have been the obvious choice. I think Kasabian are from Leicester. Anyway, yeah, we'll, enough Mark Morrison. Kasabian and oh. Simon has confirmed to me mm. silently are from Leicester. Yeah, they yeah. are. Yeah. Go on. But, uh, you know, if you're, if you're a Leicester City fan and, you know, you're celebrating and maybe you've been celebrating since midday and you're, you know, you're continuing the celebrations in the ground after... Starting at midday, and so your celebrate your celebrations in a very real sense, in a tangible sense. There was a free beer given out, free Thai beer given out. At of course, the see that's like an excellent idea. <laughs> Obviously, that's a really brilliant idea that they've that they've come up with there as well. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of hard to rein in your natural joie de vivre, shall we say, for you know a respectful listening to Andrea Bocelli but I mean I, th- I think it, I think it, it, it went off ah, yeah. it went off excellent no I think they re- reacted to well and obviously the team get to lift the trophy amid delirious scenes post-match and in between all that Everton provided suitably be calmed opponents <laughs> yes course fair of, play to Everton over the course of the 90 occasion. enjoyable yeah. minutes there I was one of the most respectful displays I've seen actually from Everton we'll go ahead we'll do the guard of honour no problem no problems there well, but, but the guard of honour was just a start on. <laughs> the guard, they started with the guard of honour as they Went meant to go on. Did they give? Did the Everton centre has give a guard of honour to Leicester's attack? I suppose, on in a figurative sense, yeah. that's what we're going for. Mm-hmm. I think Ranieri's pretty close. You're looking up something there, Ken. I, I've often, I'm trying to I've often find wonder from myself and Murphy nattering away about nonsense. What you're up to? I'm trying to see if I can find the um, Jamie Vardy penalty. That's okay. I've got more stuff to talk to Murphy about. Go for it. Okay. Uh, I was going to make the point that <laughs> Ranieri was class all the way through. Uh, I, I, everyone loves Ranieri we all know this but 
just from the from the Bocelli part right through to the post-match interviews one stage he's being interviewed by so Dave Jones they're all on the pitch the Sky mm. guys and they bring Ranieri over beaming smile you know being very funny self-deprecating all those things uh, the other the, the former pros the pundits start asking him questions as well so you've got Dave Jones standing you know on one side of Ranieri and the three lads on the other side it was Alan Smith uh, Jamie Carragher and Jamie Redknapp and each of those pundits asked him a question. But it was funny, as soon as they started asking it, Ranieri immediately sort of blocked Dave Jones out of proceedings, mm. which I think is fine. Sometimes as a presenter, you have to you have to allow these things to happen. And he actually, he was asked something by Redknapp and then say Carragher was standing one over. And when he was asked by Carragher, he literally s- stepped right in. Like they were really tied together. The body language was amazing. It was, he was like, I just really want to be in chatting to these former professionals about yeah. this. I just It was just a small moment, but it, it looked really good. It looked really... Uh, so much of TV, even around sport, can be quite stuffy and quite fake, I guess. Mm. But uh, it was nice. I do like Sky's uh, Premier League celebrations on the pitch. They've done a very good job of that. I, remember, I do remember, I didn't watch Chelsea last year, but City the year before. It's just really good. And they get loads of really good interviews. And uh, yeah, you kind of feel like uh, you're getting an insight rather than watching it from a bird's eye view you're actually yep. on the pitch with these yeah. uh, players and managers uh, yeah of course. and of course Ranieri's a bloody nice guy <laughs> and uh, yeah it, it, it's kind of when you hear enough people saying god he's such a nice guy he's such a humble guy there are some of us maybe who would be inclined to think right well I'm going to go out of my way to try and find something that leads me to think a little differently about this guy but with Ranieri there is no no I don't think so that. Ken you ready uh, yeah, yeah. You no, know, but I mean, have you seen? Have you found what you were looking for? Just, I was just trying to find the um, picture of Vardy scoring his penalty. Did you mm-hmm. see what he did? How to go with the keeper? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just, what are you doing, Vardy? Seriously, who would do that? Yeah. Um, just the, but the keeper was obviously giving him the eyes and all that kind of stuff, and yeah. he thought, "I've won. You've this won the league." <laughs> But you, in a more real sense, Jamie, you've won the league. Joe Robles. Robles, yeah. yeah but you saw Robles' reaction Suck then. on that, Robles. Yeah, you saw when he missed the penalty, Rob, Robles' reaction. Um, I, when he missed the second penalty. I didn't, actually. Vardy. Oh, Robles was literally in Vardy's face, fist pumping. Was he? He missed it. Even though he didn't save it, it was skied over the but bar. But winning 3-0. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, Robles. And there was another point where <laughs> no one comes out of this particular. Oh no, honestly, yeah. Robles made a save at one stage from emotional literates. Yeah. No, Robles made a save. I can't remember who it was from at one stage, and honestly, he was beating his chest like ah, ah, screaming to the skies. Mm. It was weird. It was a real. It was one of these. Look at me. I care about my club. Unlike the ten players in front of me. Well, kind of screams. He wound up in happy doing Roberto Martinez's comments. Well, let's get into that in the report and sport. Roberto Martinez said only Matty Pennington comes out of this with any credit. Oh, Robles, no. How much shouting can I have done? He couldn't have done any more. He, he, he was the only player who played with intent, meaning and desire, and it is a shame no one else on the pitch could match that focus. Uh, managers don't count goalkeepers as players, though. You know, when they're talking about... They, he means the outfield players. Yeah. Yeah, keepers that's have their own... Joel Robles is saying to himself, aren't you? Yeah, so that's maybe what he's telling himself. But yeah, I mean, Vardy... I just had to... I just thought it was so funny when I saw him do that face at... At Robles, yeah. just, just face care. and point, you know, he's like, ah, I got you there. He takes such pleasure in rubbing people's nose in it, mm-hmm. whether it's Harry Kane, his probable Euro 2016 strike <laughs> partner, or the hapless goalkeeper of Everton FC. Um, uh, Ranieri, obviously the um, the champion. There was a there was a piece by Martin Samuel, um, just today, where he talked about the fact that during the press conference. Christian Fuchs came in and emptied a bottle of champagne over Claudio Ranieri's head. Yeah, bit of crack. Martin Samuel wasn't amused. I don't know if it's. I don't know if his iPhone was. One of the ones <laughs> I was that just going to say. <laughs> I did watch a video of that mm-hmm. from uh, you know the journalist's point of view, mm-hmm. and there was a lot of scrambling to yeah. save their laptops from the soaking. Yeah, I mean you would be you you would be annoyed. The player he doesn't understand. He doesn't appreciate. Uh, what's going on there? But you would be annoyed in that situation. Your equipment getting doused with champagne. What did Samuel say? Well, he just said that Cadre uh, uh, is about to begin his address to the media when a few of his players burst in and dumped a bottle of champagne on his head. Maybe they underestimate him too. Because he been making the point that Ranieri's underestimated. Put it like this. They wouldn't have done it to Sir Alex Ferguson or Fabio Capello, two of the names Ranieri drops in conversation when he talks about the greats of modern management. These are the men he strived all his professional career to emulate. Now he will at last be mentioned in the same sentence. So, respect is due. A little more respect than he was shown on Saturday, ah, perhaps. Come on. 
That is the that is the column of a man whose iPhone was destroyed beyond repair. <laughs> he is put it in some rice. He does, <laughs> and then get over it. He does make the point that, that uh, Christian Fuchs comes from Austria, which is a country uh, in which um, they spray champagne over each other all day long. No, they they dump beer on each other when they win the league or win a trophy. So you can you can check out the photos of Guardiola, who I'm sure is you know respected manager, mm-hmm. getting absolutely dumped on by. Um, uh, you know they, they have these they have these huge glasses of these kind of comedy outsized glasses yeah. of beer, which the players pour over his uh, his head, and he just has to take it. So I guess that's what Christian. Maybe the press conference wasn't the best arena yeah. in which to execute the gag. But, uh, they could have well, taken. I, I remember the the Real Madrid players doing it in Lisbon in 2014. Uh, Bill Belichick gets a Gatorade. Yeah, but that's during the that's on the sideline. That was the point I was going to make. Yeah, if you you know they're three one up at home. No, Leicester can't, you know, you could say this is disrespectful to their opponents, Everton, who are out there. If we start throwing Gatorade or indeed champagne on our manager's head before the match is finished, I don't think Everton would have had a leg to stand on there, yeah. uh, given their apathy towards what was mm. going on. So I don't know, maybe that's the way to do because there was a lot of, there were there was a sort of a American sports bent to the post-match stuff, I thought, just mainly in the central role that the owners played. This mm. doesn't usually happen in English sport. The owners, even after they've delivered Premier League titles and you know, showered money upon their clubs aren't always necessarily um well they're they're not always front and center and I don't think fans always embrace them fully in, in the way that it happens after any NFL game the owner will be doing the sorry, any Super Bowl the owner will be doing uh, post match speeches and all this kind of stuff. And he gets presented with the trophy. Yeah, the, and the, the Thai owners were very front and center of this, I thought. So maybe they could have taken another uh, leaf out of the American sports book and uh, yeah, Gatorade, Gatorade on the sideline. Um, yeah, uh, as, as I was saying, I think I'm pretty sure. I mean, I can remember the Real Madrid players or some Real Madrid players. I remember Marcelo was definitely one of them bursting into the press conference after they won the Champions League in uh, 2014 when Ancelotti was doing his press conference. Ancelotti was was covered in champagne. Mm. Whether they poured it over him then, I don't think they did. But he was clearly like his suit was glistening. You know what I mean? He he'd clearly been doused. And Alex Ferguson was actually there that night. Owen, he'd given the. Uh, Man of the Match award to future Manchester United legend Angel Di Maria. Oh. So I don't know what he what he thought of that. Maybe he was disapproving uh, backstage. But the, you know, I think sometimes players win a big prize, especially if you're Leicester and you win the league. It's probably okay. It's okay. Yeah. And it's I think okay. It's Martin Samuel writes good stuff. I, I disagree with this. Particular yeah. And I think as well that you know you don't do it to Capello and Thrax Ferguson because they rule by fear. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're you know, different kinds of guys. Completely different ty- types of guys. I mean, it's not a case of respect; it's a case of fear. I don't do that to those two guys because they won't like it. <laughs> you know, Ranieri and Ancelotti are not dictators. Imagine so being they're taken pretty to cool a, with that. Yeah, exactly. a pizza restaurant by Fabio Capello, and then having to make your own pizza under his critical eye. Like he would definitely, like the whole squad, just silently making the pizza, like flinging the dough in the air and sort of looking around nervously. And he would definitely pick someone out to bollock them. See, fellow professionals, we are having organised fun, mm. says uh, Fabio Capello halfway through the pizza-making process. Um, Martin Samuel did have an interesting well, an interesting bit in his column about um, A.D. Cooper, a uh, Sunderland scout. He, he was talking to um, basically about Leicester, and he was just saying, um, the scout was saying, uh, this will change the way we look at games. Everything we've been told is important. Passing statistics, possession statistics, squad rotation, they're proving it all wrong. Uh, and he, and that's where he comes up with the you know Leicester's one of Leicester's gets that everyone underestimates our manager. He's a lot smarter, smarter than people think he is. I was a bit surprised by that actually because I don't think that passing possession and squad. I mean, squad rotation is a separate one. The issue with squad rotation there is Everton didn't really, or Leicester rather didn't have to do a huge amount of squad rotation because they didn't have to play that many games. It wasn't yeah. as though they were playing the Champions League. We'll see if they're able to take the same approach next season. I'd be really impressed if they are. <laughs> You know, I'll be if Vardy and Kante Mars are playing Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday throughout next season, then Leicester will truly have revolutionized the game. Then it's time to send a team of scientists from the United Nations <laughs> to look at what's going on there. Well, Leicester's what's the Le- Leicester's scout's name again? Chief scout? Walsh, Steve Walsh. Steve Walsh said after the game, uh, he was asked about Mares, about this. Oh no, about Kante. Kante, I should say. And uh, he said, "Yeah, well, you know, when I, the, what I say about Kante is." When, it, when we pick a team, we play three in midfield. Mm. We've got drink water in the middle. 
Yeah. Conte either side. Yeah. That's that's the amount. That's a shift that he puts in. He's two players, all this kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, you're right, Ken. If if he can do that, um, nonstop for uh, you know another ten, twelve high profile games. Yeah. Well, he didn't ha- even, well, hats off to the medical department. He didn't even really seem to think as though he should lift the Premier League trophy. Did you see that? Oh yeah. He was kind of like shy about lifting it. It was like it's okay. Go on. I think you you probably have earned the. Mm. I have to trophy say, lifting. yeah, watching the trophy lifting process, it was a little different to when Chelsea won the Champions League. Uh, <laughs> a little different in that all of the players seemed a little shy about. Okay, I'll lift this once and then okay, give it back to 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 Wes there. Yeah. And uh, 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 compared to that, it was 2012, wasn't it? Chelsea won the Champions League. Yeah. yeah. Um, the absolute solo runs that every single one of those players like remember. Um, Oh my god, I've forgotten his name. Busingwa. Oh yeah. Jose Busingwa. Yeah. Like, not exactly one of the cornerstones of the Chelsea. He he ran off like 80 yards away from his teammates to yeah. take the solitary applause of one half of the stadium. Oh, uh, I don't, that see, don't see why he shouldn't have on that night, that uh, famous night in Munich. Um the the other sorry, I just, it just popped into my head when you were talking about that. I remember Di Matteo and that is again, he was he was being covered in champagne, but the the other approach to champagne was the one taken by Bruce Arena when the LA Galaxy won the won MLS Cup. <laughs> just drink all the champagne. Just just get that champagne into your belly, then sit there in a press conference yeah. in which you become that more and more enthusiastic. Sit there bone dry, not a not a bead <laughs> yeah. of champagne on your head. Gulping, Where did all the champagne go? <laughs> Bruce <that> champagne. <laughs> looks shiftily. Oh, oh, I don't know. <laughs> um, but but the the other things that this Eddie Cooper the scout uh, says so everything we've been told is important passing statistics possession statistics now I don't those things aren't important and if he thinks if he thought they were important then he he's been kind of barking up the wrong tree for some time you know the possession doesn't tell you anything about who's more likely to win a game uh, it you know what you can say is that over a season when you look at the teams that finish at the top of of the league. Usually, they also happen to have quite a lot of possession because the teams that finish top of the league usually have the best players and tend to tend to have more of the ball than the opponent on average. But in any given game, the amount of possession doesn't tell you who's. It's not related at all to the result. Yeah. Um, neither is the passing statistics. The other one that he mentioned. That's that's you know that doesn't matter. That's just a, that's a kind of a stylistic question. It doesn't necessarily have an impact on the game. Although you will find again that the better teams tend to be able to pass the ball better, you know. But in any given game, it doesn't really matter. The only one that really, as far as I can see, in, in a given game, does tend to predict the result is shots on target. Um, even in that, Leicester aren't anywhere near top of the table. But you know, these things happen. Um, I guess we can talk about something else now. Yeah, hi. I enjoy the lesser chap, but there's uh, great news for Republic of Ireland, Ken. One of Belgium's key men is out of the Euros. Is it great news? No, it's not. I, I, sorry, I was I don't being a little facetious. There. I don't think it's great news. I think it's very sad. Vincent Company, the inspirational defensive leader of the Belgian national team and also of Manchester City, uh, is out of the Euros. Uh, he writes on Facebook, I miss the Euros. To me, that's very sad news. So I could be standing here feeling sorry for myself. I could fear for my career, as others may do. I could give up. That is not me. I decide on my future. There is a bigger picture to everything in life, and only failing to see it will cause me to fail. I'm a hard worker and a fighter, and if you are too, then you know that to people like us, success can come in many forms. We trust ourselves when the going gets tough. I have the greatest respect for those who overcome their personal challenges in life with a positive attitude. I want to live up to that. So I remain calm and positive. I continue to follow my path, and I will do so with more conviction than ever. I trust my friends and teammates to do well and do as proud at the European Championships. I now I'm officially their most fervent supporter and I will be there to support them. Written from my hospital bed. Oh god, now I feel really never giving Now I feel up. really <laughs> You're a scumbag <laughs> you are, You're filthy scum. Scum. Yeah. Great news, everyone. God. Okay, if Shane Long if Shane Long runs through the Belgian defence, the heart of the Belgian defence. Which he was expo- doing which he was doing, by the way, on the weekend. Yeah. So dancing against Tottenham. Yeah. So if he does that and scores a hat-trick to win a thrilling game 3-2 mm-hmm. and send us through to the next round. Will you be all, oh, I'm so sorry, Vincent Company's not there? No, no I think I'll so. be delighted for Shane Long, but I will also still feel a pang, uh, you know, uh, yeah, you no, a professional uh, sadness uh, for Jan Vertonghen and Toby Alderweireld. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry it didn't work out for you guys. Shane had the better of you today, but uh, continued success to you in your career. And who knows, maybe they, we could both march 
forward into the last 16 and wouldn't that be a great result for little Belgium and little Ireland <laughs> on too small for putting countries yeah yeah well I mean it's 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 a it's a question there for Manchester City as well this guy is the heart of their team he is like the only player at Manchester City who gives me the impression that he really really cares about the club Joe Hart well, there's Joe Hart as well. Are you not treating him as a player similar to Roberto Martinez? You're separating goalkeepers from... Well, did you see what Joe Hart did against Arsenal? In which case? Um, I mean, I saw... Himself and Gail Clichy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Con- contriving to yeah. concoct a cock-up, mm-hmm. which resulted in Arsenal's first goal from a corner, yeah. which featured the worst marking I've ever seen from a <laughs> corner. Did you see what happened? Yeah. It was like uh, Olivier Giroud suddenly popped out into space... And then he was like, oh no, I've gone too early, haven't I? And he's like, well, wait a second, no one is actually marking me now. No, yeah, no, but somebody did come over to mark Mangala him. eventually came blundering over towards him. And Giroud him. just then took a couple of steps back. The other direction, <laughs> and he was completely free. Yeah. You know, Arsenal's six foot two inch centre forward, the best header of the ball in their team, the most obvious aerial threat from any set piece, is standing eight yards out in a central position completely unmarked. Twice. Why would you bother? Twice Why? within Why would you three bother? seconds. Just, <clears throat> yeah. just pathetic, you know. That's the kind of thing, you know. I could say that doesn't have any companies there, but you know, company tends to get annoyed about that kind of stuff when it happens. Well, so, what, well, what's the, you know, what's your, what's the problem with company? They'll just rehabilitate them and get them ready for next season. Well, the problem with company is is the um, is the recurrence of uh, injuries, which, which, despite his positive and upbeat tone, and he's he's come out with a lot of. Um, you know, he, he's, he said a lot of those things there. But look, I mean, you look at his last, look at his injuries. I mean, how many? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 since the start of 2014. Um, most of them are muscle injuries, a lot of calf muscle strains, thigh muscle strains, um, groin, hip. You know, he keeps he keeps doing this. And it's obviously they can't work out what the... Uh, what the problem is now? His manager next season is going to be Pep Guardiola. Now there was more on the the Pep Guardiola health front mm-hmm. over the weekend. It's a front that's been troublesome. Yeah, he doesn't see why players need to be injured. If the player's out for seven weeks, well, why can't we get him back in six? If they say he's out for six, why? Well, I'd like to see him back in five. And of course. That that might be a sort of an ethic of improvement, or you know, let's let's try to do better here. But there's no limit to that. You know, the yeah. logic, the ultimate logic of that is, I don't believe in injuries. Yeah. Right. Now, Pep Guardiola was reported last week to have had another blazing row with the medical staff. This is obviously the new medical staff who replaced the old medical staff who left because they were tired of Pep pointing the finger at them. And he had another row with them. He said, "How is it that Atletico Madrid can have Diego Godin back?" Available for this game when he was supposed to be injured. He was out for, you know, a week. They said he was going to be out for a while and he's back. How can they get him back and you can't get Arjen Robin back to play for us against them? Why, why can you not do that? Which, to be honest, there's absolutely no logic to. No. Whatever Atletico Madrid do, and there have been some medical miracles worked at Atletico Madrid, sure, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're a medical staff that knows all the tricks of the trade. Um, and fair play to them for getting Diego Godin back fighting fit before anyone thought he would be. Whatever about whatever injury Diego Godin had has nothing to do with what's wrong with Arjen Robin. Arjen Robin, by the way, is a man who has had a career which used, previously he was racked with injuries. Chelsea sold him effectively because they were oh the glass man Robin. Well, to be fair, he's not really much use in the Premier League, is he? We'll you know, sell, we'll sell him off somewhere where he he can do less a bit less damage to himself. And Robin managed to turn himself into a, into almost a monster. I remember going to see the German Cup final in 2014, Bayern against Dortmund. Robin was playing centre-forward for Bayern. I'm thinking, is this the same guy? Look at this guy. He is a beast now. Mm. He's playing centre-forward. He's muscling these Dortmund players out. Like, he's able to run, to chase. He's always been able to sprint, obviously. But he's able to chase after a ball, shouldering a defender out of the way. I've never seen him be able to do that before. He's really turned himself into a a more complete physical player, let's say. He's going to get injured from time to time. What is he now, 32 years old, I think? This is going to happen. So it just seems irrational to me from, from Guardiola. Bes- besides, by the way, you still have some quite good players in your squad. It's not a case of, oh, Robin is gone and he's our last hope. He's our only hope. You know, you've got like Mario Gutza sitting there. You don't even use. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Don't blame don't blame other people. But this has been a frequent theme with him, blaming doctors, uh, not accepting the players sometimes get injured. What is he going to think of Big Vince is my question. What are the doctors going to think of Big Vince? Knowing the way that things generally tend to go when Guardiola is unhappy about a, player's, a player getting injured, can they really afford to have Vincent Company on the premises? <laughs> you know, uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's a tough yeah. it's a tough situation. Um, and, of course, the, the result of only drawing against Arsenal is that now um, Manchester City are no longer in control of whether they get to the Champions League. If, if Manchester United win their two matches, their two remaining matches, they will be in the Champions League. They will They will finish in the top four. Of that, there is no longer any doubt. Um, this is... Uh, I mean, it's incredible to think that that could happen to City. I mean, there's just been so many mistakes to get them to this point. But uh, Manchester United have kind of hung in there just barely and now might actually be able to pull this off. They do, however, have to win the last ever game at the bowling ground. That's the task. Manchester United they have to win that they're playing West Ham is it Tuesday night tomorrow night and it will be their last the last home match for West Ham at Upton Park at Bowling Ground whatever you want to call it he used to always be Upton Park and then people started calling him Bowling Ground a while ago apparently that's the correct name yeah but it's gone now, so forget about it. It's the Olympic <laughs> a, few, a few months of confusion now, but it's, it's all done. The owners must be devastated, uh, Ken, to, to leave the spiritual home of, of West Ham. Well, it's ama- this is amazing. I mean, David Gold and David Sullivan have pulled off a serious... Like, this is almost a heist. I mean, a heist would imply criminality. And we're not implying that. We're certainly not implying criminality. But in ter- Although they have been able to avail of very favourable public investment conditions in terms of they're moving into a stadium which was built for the Olympics. And it's like, well, we get the stadium now. It's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a great deal. It's a great deal, once it's again. It's the art of the deal. Once again, n- no criminal um, suggestions. No, no criminality, just damn good business, Owen. And it is amazing business that West Ham have pulled off here. But partic- particularly their owners in Cam Brady. Um, it's because West Ham have sold... 52,000 season tickets for the uh, Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park. 52,000 season tickets is the lar- is second largest number in the Premier League after Manchester United. They now apparently have sold more season tickets than Arsenal. That is incredible. That is phenomenal. Yeah. When you consider that when these guys took over the club, they took control of the club in 2010, they kind of been involved... Uh, um, a little bit before then, but they took control of the club in 2010, and the club was valued then at 110 million pounds. The whole club, yeah. 110 million. Now, what must they be worth? A 60,000 uh, seater stadium, more than 50,000 season ticket holders, record uh, uh, TV deals pouring in. It is that, that I mean, I would like to see a, an estimate of their brand value because I mean now currently, I mean the 110 million is is far less than they would make in a year now. I mean, would there just, have been, from TV, just from just yeah. from TV, would there have been 50,000 people, 50 whatever thousand people looking to get into Upton Park or get up to into the bowling grounds? I and mean, that was a 35,000 capacity. I don't know. People living in London actually might have a better idea of this. How well supported West Ham are? They do seem to have a pretty big. Funnily following. enough, actually, uh, uh, I've been in the East. Uh, east end of London, travelling via train right along kind of Upton Park and also uh, the Olympic Stadium a number of times on Saturday afternoons. And it is, like, it's a huge thing. You know, huge, it's huge like... part of the, the day there, yeah. Yeah, and it's a huge part of, like, that that part of London. Um, you know, West Ham is a huge... And they kind of have it to themselves as well. Um, but I, at the same time, I would not have thought that it's possible for them to sell more season tickets than Arsenal. Well, it's, it's, I mean, it's a gigantic city. And I suppose this does mean a, a change in the fan base. But London is an enormous city. I mean, there's you know, what, 10 million people in the general area. And there's obviously people can come from further afield if they if they I want. would actually have spent quite a bit of time in South End. So that's where I would have got the train from, which takes you right through the east end of London. And if anyone supports a team in South End, I mean, they might support South End. And I mean, like, and I'm only using that because that's the town that I, I've spent a bit of time in. But... Mm. Everyone there supported West Ham as well because the difference between travelling to West Ham and travelling to Arsenal on a Saturday afternoon is like an hour, you know, an hour, an hour and a half probably. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, you you do kind of have to factor that. It's not just the ten million people; it's also the surrounding areas. 
I mean, it's yeah, like that's it, that's a mind-boggling number to me, though. London's yeah. new superpower. Well, it, you know, the, let's see what the ground looks like. I mean, if they can actually create a good atmosphere in that huge bowl, it's then. a good, it's a good stadium. I mean, I've been there. They have. I haven't been there for a for a football or rugby match. I mean, if they they did have it reconfigured, didn't they, for the Rugby World Cup? Yeah. Um, and I haven't, there, yeah. I haven't seen what that's like. I haven't experienced what that's like. But it was amazing atmosphere at times in the during the Olympic Games. Um, different type of event, I suppose. But you just got to say this has been really impressive, and, and Sullivan Gold are like just. I mean, I can't imagine how pleasing it must be from the business sense to have to have got the club to this point from from the point at which they took it over. Um, just one, one, one last more, yeah. thing is uh, just uh, Jurgen Klopp has gone back on his uh, comments last week you might have seen that Jurgen Klopp was saying oh you know we're at the we're in the final uh, we're in the final Basel it's, Basel's a beautiful city it's quite near it's quite near to my home uh, hey even if you don't have tickets come on <laughs> over come on over for the party oh dear oh dear oh dear Basel is a tiny town it shouldn't be uh, it would have been okay if it had been Shakhtar against Villarreal but Liverpool against Sevilla is going to be tough for Basel to accommodate, um, the stadium itself is is not even forty thousand uh, capacity. So the tickets are obviously going to be at a premium. But you know, in 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 the town, there isn't really uh, even the facilities to handle an influx of of that size of the the type that they could, Klopp they, was talking yeah. fifty, sixty, seventy thousand people. There, there's there's not scope to you know erect fan parks or put up big screens or anything. Like that. Oh yeah, they can they can do that. But come on. Nobody, yeah. We've talked about this before. Why don't we just do that in Liverpool? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, to be fair, you might as well do that in Liverpool and it would be better uh, than than doing it in Basel. But Klopp now says, last time I spoke about Basel, I spoke like a supporter and I invited all Liverpool fans to Basel. That was not too smart, to be honest. (laughs) Basel is a nice city, but it is not ready for us and it was my mistake. Please, only people with tickets go there because everything else will be chaos and we don't want this. Uh, It is wonderful to be in the stadium, but if you cannot be there... Then stay at home or come to Liverpool and watch the game together with friends. And let's have a party after this. It is really, really, really necessary that you now listen. Most of the time you can ignore what I say, but now it is important. <laughs> so that's, In fairness, he couldn't have really have done that any better than he just did. Someone has definitely had to have a word with Jürgen saying, look, you don't understand what's, what, what's going to happen here. You can't encourage this situation. Uh, uh, but yeah. That's it. That's it. Wrap up. Report, report. And Randolph. Sends it long. That's his kind of size. Shane Long. Shane Long's in behind the defence. Shane Long against Moyer. Right, one of the other big games of the weekend, aside from Leicester's title celebrations, was Sunderland's win, which is, has edged them. Well, it's really um, put them within touching distance. One result against Everton during the week uh, from confirming their place in the Premier League next year after coming from behind twice to first level with Chelsea and then uh, and then win it thanks to Jermaine Defoe. Jonathan Wilson is ready. Jonathan, let's hear it for Big Sam the Saviour. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's been a general perception certainly among Sunderland fans they've played a lot better I mean really since the new signings came in in January I mean four signings were made um, of those three have, have really been exceptional uh, Wabi Kasri who maybe his form had started to dip off but scored a brilliant goal on, on Saturday Lamine Kone who, who maybe didn't have the best game on Saturday and was taken off but has been generally very very solid and most of all Jan Kirchhoff who just looks a class above anything else in the bottom half of the table you know a really I mean, uh, he, he was a centre-back at Bayern Munich, but he sits at the back of midfield, passes the ball around, just dominates. Um, and and you know, I, I think if Sunderland do end up staying up, you'd probably say the reason they've done it is their recruitment in January. And that clearly is, is Allardyce putting his, his stamp on the squad. And also, I think the way he keeps his head in these situations, Jonathan, he's been around around the block so often. Uh, I even was quite struck. Who scored the long-range volley again? I've forgotten that. They scored this absolute screamer. Yeah, and you can see him like he's actually laughing at the brilliance of this goal, look, looking somewhat 
you know, just looking like he's he's actually kind of enjoying this situation, which most managers don't. Even his quotes, uh, when he, he talks about Jermaine Defoe every week and says, look, this guy's goals, goal scoring is unbelievable. I don't know where we'd be without him. When other managers might be a little bit less inclined to keep, to, you know, to basically imply that this one player is keeping us in the league. Yeah, I mean, I wonder whether he, he's deliberately... Uh, I mean, you know, clearly Defoe's goals are a huge part of it. I mean, 15 goals a season, which for a club in that situation is remarkable. And I, I think what's particularly um, heartening or particularly impressive about Defoe is that you wouldn't see him as a natural Allardyce striker. You, you, you think of him as somebody who, who needs to play off a big man or needs to have somebody sitting deeper just feeding balls through. He's not the lone striker in a 4-3-3. But he's done that exceptionally... Um, you know his his movement is great. He 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 pulls behind defenses. He creates space. Uh, so it's almost like he's he's found a new way of playing. At what what is he now? Thirty two, thirty three. Uh, but I, I think there was a period when Allardyce wasn't sure that he was going to work. And it was definitely in January. There was a lot of talk that he might be sold as a way of raising money to to bring in other signings. So I do wonder whether Allardyce is is making a point of singling him out for praise. It's not to say the praise is undeserved, but he, but he feels his bridges need to be built there. He need, that he needs to persuade Defoe that, yes, you really are part of my long-term plans. Yeah. The, um, uh, Sam Allardyce, I was struck by his comments after the game where he, he sort of thanked the crowd but was also lecturing them a little bit, I think, on the correct way to support their team, which is to support them as they did against Chelsea and not to abuse and complain about them, which Allardyce seemed to be implying they do rather a little bit too much at some point. I mean, I, 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 maybe. I, I think the issue is more anxiety than anything else. I, I, I think there's the, the mood at, at, at the Stadium Light Crowd. In fact, 47,000 turnout for, for, for that game tells you the mood is pretty good. That a situation that was getting pretty unpleasant towards Christmas. Yeah, I think even if Sunderland do end up going down now, even sort of a month or so ago when when they were drawing games, they probably should have been winning. There was a sense of well, we've definitely moved in the right direction. It's not Allardyce's fault. It's not this bunch of players' fault. Um, so I, I think the, the the mood had sort of probably from sort of January February onwards has, has been a lot more positive. But there's still a real anxiety. And Sunderland's home form has has not been great. Um, and it's it's only recently they've, they've, they've you know they've got a couple of wins and got a couple of clean sheets. So I, I think it's probably more the anxiety he's talking about that there's got to be a bit more faith that, than than actually you know really criticising players because I mean the, the first team he put out on Saturday he hasn't changed the team in for six games now I think so it's pretty obvious that is the, the team that he believes in. Yeah, I mean just looking at their recent record though, I mean it is a little bit worrying. I mean, although this season looks as though it's going to end well, and they've got to play, they've they've got to play Everton on Wednesday. They win that game; they're definitely going to stay up. Pretty good opposition to have for a game like that, you would say. It's a kind fixture yeah. uh, that's that's kind of fallen into Sunderland's lap. Uh, you know, if they if they win that, okay, they they stay up, and that will be obviously a great outcome to this season. But looking over the last few years, this has been getting closer and closer. You know, it's thirteenth in twenty twelve, seventeenth the following season, then fourteenth, then sixteenth. 17 at best this season. Yeah, there's, a, there's a trend there which is pretty worrying for Sunderland. And and admittedly, everybody's going to be delighted that they get to stay in the Premier League this time, provided you know it works out the way it looks like it is uh, going to. But this is a club that needs to change something, or they're going to get relegated probably next season. And if not next season, then very soon. I mean, what do you, how do you think they can... Uh, sort of arrest this longer term trend which seems to be pointing inexorably towards relegation well I, I think they've already begun to do that I, I think if you look at the last three seasons that um, it's been that midweek round of games before the final weekend when they've stayed up so uh, under De Canio three years ago I think they've, they've been drawn Southampton on the Saturday but then Wigan got beaten 4-1 at Arsenal midweek and that was what you know, something knew they were up then there was a 0-0 draw um, and, uh, sorry, then there was a 2 win over West Brom under Gus Poyer two years ago then a 0 nil draw Arsenal under, under Advocate last season but I think the d- difference now is that there has been a very very clear upturn it's not sort of a, a point upturn of suddenly winning four games and nobody expected them to that this is actually a long term upturn and the, the frustration of the last three or four months is that some haven't got the results they probably deserved and I think they've drawn eight games since January the 1st and I would suggest that of, in those eight games probably six of them they were a better side so even if they'd say won five and lost three of, of, of those eight, which is a completely plausible outcome, then they'd be seven points 
better off than they are now and they'd be way clear so I, I think there's a sense that the signings that Allardyce made the, the clear control that he, he has over signings and that's been a, an issue this this indecision as to who's actually in charge that um, you, you know, huge problems with initially Gus Poyet and Roberto Defanti that they didn't get on and Defanti resigned early in January in that season um, and, and then you know, further sporting directors who nobody was quite quite sure what the policy was. Well, now it's clear. It's Allardyce. It's Allardyce's job to put it right. I think everybody who's been around Sunderland knows there's been a lot of talk um, about uh, the players maybe not being as professional off the pitch as they might be. And I think that's begun to be resolved. I think some of the players who left in January, you can understand why Allardyce chose to move them on. Um, so I, I think there's a general sense that I think there's greater positivity now than there has been at any point for three or four years. Maybe the point I think is it was so ridiculous, those four wins in, in a row, uh, that people thought something remarkable was going to happen. But even then, there was that underlying tension of, of, of what happened between Poyet and Defanti, which still hasn't really fully come out. Uh, whereas now, I think there is a, a, a clear direction. The direction is Allardyce. Allardyce, I think, feels very wanted by the club. Uh, I think he feels much more appreciated than he was at, at West Ham or, or Newcastle. I think he's really enjoying making a point to Newcastle. Um, and I think you saw, I mean, Jermaine Defoe came off the pitch crying on, on, on Saturday. And that's twice he's done that now. And that's quite a weird thing for, for a man in his early 30s with no connection to the, to the area at all, who somehow the club's got under his skin. That okay, Maybe partly it's a personal thing that when he went to Toronto, he thought that playing in front of a 47,000 crowd and being hailed to the rafters was over for him. And he, he's really relishing that. But I think he also relishes the fact that someone have given him the opportunity to do that. Uh, another man at least close to tears was John Terry after that rash tackle at the end Jonathan which means he won't get a, a suitable farewell party at Stamford Bridge not on the pitch anyway do you feel any sympathy for JT? Well he's seeing this Zidane isn't he he's going out with a red card that's exactly the way he'd have planned it <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah those two tackles in the space of what was it three or four minutes they're, they're ridiculous tackles I mean, the last one especially the yeah, yeah. He, he, he stamped on Defoe's foot which okay probably is a yellow but you know, the ref wouldn't have had to have misseen that by very much to decide that was a red card. And the second one was ludicrous. I mean, to do that when you're already on the yellow card, I mean, I don't understand why you'd be so worked up at that point of the game to commit a foul. That, you know, he wasn't reaching for a ball and overstretched and fouled him. It was just a, it was a foul that was always going to get at least a booking. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to say he wanted to get sent off because I'm, I'm sure that's not quite the case. But I... If I was a psychologist, I'd be sort of thinking some slightly strange things about John Terry's mm-hmm. unconscious. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, what do you think of what's happening there, though? Because Antonio Conte is coming in. It's not as though he's never seen a 36 or 37 or 38 or 39-year-old defender before in his time with Juventus. Um, John Terry is a, a guy who you know means a lot to Chelsea. Chelsea means a lot to John Terry. Uh, he's played a lot of good football for them over the years. Are you a little bit surprised that Antonio Conte has evidently had no... I mean, maybe he hasn't been consulted, but you imagine if he said, oh, you know, I wouldn't mind having that guy around. They've obviously decided that's not going to happen. No, I'm not surprised at all, actually, I think, uh, for a couple of reasons. One is that when you get a player who is that old, who is that... Um, yeah, who's sort of that emblematic, of the club. I mean, Terry came through what, in 98. I mean, he's been there 18 years. Um, the, 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 the act of culling him is a big symbolic act and it never happens as, as sort of uh, with the same level of, of mutuality as you might like. Yeah, Terry clearly was pretty irritated by Mourinho starting to arrest him. Uh, and so for a new manager, just let somebody else do that. You don't need that headache. But the other issue I think is tactical that um, Conte has always favoured a pressing game whether that's with a back three or a back four um, and, and you know, we saw when Villas Boas tried to play the pressing game that Terry's just not quick enough he wasn't quick enough five years ago he's not quick enough now to do it so I, I don't see how Terry will ever fit in the Conte side so I can absolutely see why he wants him out the door and he wants somebody else to, to wield a knife Alright Jonathan Brilliant stuff we'll leave it there thanks mate Okay thanks Oh my goodness me! He 
Vegas kick he puts the fan Eric Cantona has jumped in and sees a kung fu kick a fan Manchester United fans are coming across I have never seen as disgraceful an incident as that in all my years in football Eric Cantona should be thrown out of the game for that sort of incident I care not one jot about his supreme talent he launched himself six feet into the crowd and kung fu Jonathan Wilson there, Ken, applying some amateur psychology to John Terry. Something you you have applied yourself to John Terry over the years, and uh, yeah. we're, we're all trying to. We're all wondering why the rush of blood to the head. Um, well, John Terry's been known to do that from time to time. Rushes of blood, even his head sometimes becomes engorged with blood. Yeah, but he's been around the block a long time now, and he's been in higher pressure situations than that, and not gone. Particularly that last tackle, not gone. Just getting himself sent off like that. Well, he got himself sent off in the Champions League semi-final by kicking an opponent up the arse. <laughs> yeah, bigger, bigger day, you know, bigger match. Playing against Barcelona, Lionel Messi, he booted David Villa. Well, Alexis Sanchez, he booted Alexis Sanchez hmm. in the buttocks, <laughs> and that in the first half, yeah. and that was it. And that's why Chelsea ended up winning the Premier, uh, the Champions League title in so spite of John Terry. Don't think in some weird way he. I didn't want to be on the pitch at Stamford Bridge next week. No, I... I, I no, nah, sure, because his immediate reaction was so... He was so upset straight away. And he might have forgotten that he was going to miss the two games or... I, I mean, I'm sure... I don't think... I thought he looked really sad when he was coming off. Yeah, he did, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, what, what can he do? Like, it's... It was just too too stupid. I suppose he can get to... The question now is, will he... Oh, God, Ken, come know, on. It's the it, gag, but it, but it, it, it is also the question everyone is asking. Well, it's, it does, yeah. it is. What's the gag? I don't want to make, it's not, a, I don't want to bring it up as a gag. It's just Will he be wearing a suit? Will he be wearing a suit when he comes out on the pitch? Or will he dress up as a Chelsea do player? A John, will John Terry do a John Terry? For his last appearance on the right. same, because it's, it's suddenly a real dynamic. I mean, Robert Hoots even was making that gag. Robert yeah. Hoots actually tweeted that. I've gone, I've gone full John Terry, he said about dressing up. Our own Brian O'Driscoll did it, of course. He, did he? Did he? No, he was it? going to do no, it. He he didn't. Well, but I mean, he was like, you know, tw- he was tweeting in the run up to. But at least Brian O'Driscoll didn't used to be John Terry's teammate, like Robert Hoot did for years mm. and years. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a dynamic. I, 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 th- I don't know. I don't know how he's going to close that book. Manuel Pellegrini's book is closed now at Manchester City, and uh, not in very satisfactory fashion. Fashion, really. John Bruin, first of all, not a great result uh, against Arsenal, but also. He was saying a few words on the pitch afterwards, thanking the fans, that kind of thing. But unfortunately, nobody was around to hear it. Most of the supporters had left before before this little speech. Was that a little bit disrespectful? Um, I, I'm not sure that the, the, it's a difficult one, that isn't it? I, I don't know if the fans would have meant disrespect towards Manuel Pellegrini, but um, actually, if you think of going to Manchester City, getting out of the ground can be difficult. You've got a queue to get on the metro. The traffic's bad. Uh, it was a nice summer's evening as well, or early summer's evening, where you could go for a nice beer on the concourse or something like that. Or do you stay around to clap off a group of players who have let you down and also have also let Manchester United possibly back into a Champions League place? Well, it depends. Now, it depends, I would say, how much respect you have for the departing manager. And, I mean, it was a ni- wasn't it a nice summer's evening when Alex Ferguson was making that speech telling Manchester United fans they, they, their job was to support their next manager? The stadium, was, as I recall, was packed. They would have stayed there all night listening to him. Now, you can't really compare maybe Pellegrini and Ferguson, but the fact that he was speaking to an almost empty bowl was sad. Yeah, well, I mean, there's, there was that fairly pathetic sight, wasn't there, of the, the this charming man banner. Now, I'm not sure whether Manchester City, the club, made that themselves, but... There, were, there was nearly not enough people to hold that up. That was a bit, you know, it, I felt a bit sorry for Pellegrini when I saw that. Um, I think the thing is, um, if Pellegrini uh, was not being replaced by Guardiola, you'd probably have a different sense of what they thought of the manager uh, than they do now. Now they can wave him off, thank him for the good times, winning the uh, Premier League in 2013-14, taking them to the Champions League semi-finals where they'd never been before, winning two League Cups, um, and you know that can be looked upon as a relatively happy time uh, because they know that they're being replaced. He's been replaced by you know, who is ostensibly the best manager in the game. So, uh, in a way, that the, the, the announcement coming before the end of the season has done 
Pellegrini a few favours in terms of his public image. But I think the other thing to say, actually, is, and I've sat through many a press conference, uh, a lot of the time I wouldn't cross the road to uh, hear Manuel Pellegrini speak. Um, <laughs> there is not really a lot going on there. Um, listen, he, he's, a, he's, a, he's a nice guy. Uh, I think he's done a reasonable job, but as an orator, not for me, <laughs> not for anyone, I don't think. Well, uh, we, we were talking to Sid Lowe on Thursday about Manchester City. Well, not a lot about Manchester City, but he, he was very um, critical of them. Uh, and he said they don't, use, trying to translate a, a phrase that sometimes used in Spanish, they don't transmit anything. It's like a team that isn't about anything. They don't, you, you watch them, you have no idea what it is they're trying to do or what they're trying to say. Um, what about the City fans these days? What are they transmitting? I mean, this is, they have been through a very, I mean, obviously a huge change. Manchester City, who were, who were this doomed club, uh, who you know who, who were perennial kind of losers and unfortunates, and and whose identity was almost based around that, have become uh, you know a petrodollar funded super club who expect to win trophies. What do you think this has done to the city fan base? What are the changes that you uh, notice over the last few years? I think the, the changes I would notice are. Obviously, in, and this is a, a very obvious point, is the expectation is far much higher. Um, the, the thing is, though, about Manchester City fans is there is still that, that, that sort of hangover from the era when they were relegated to the third division of English football, the famous game against Gillingham. Uh, there is a lot of almost pinching themselves that this is the status that they've reached, that they're in Madrid in a Champions League semi-final against Real Madrid. Um and I, I think that there's a certain amount of disbelief there and it may take an, the next generation of Manchester City fans to be the kind of strutting, arrogant uh, fan group, fan base that you get at clubs like Liverpool, Manchester United, Arsenal, Chelsea. Um, because, you know, football in England, uh, it's an expensive thing to go to. So most of the people that go to the get the games are you know, over 30, over 40 almost. Um, and, you know, that they're used to Manchester City being a very different club. And I still think that among the fans, uh, there is a certain amount of, well, that was that song, We're Not Really Here. Well, that was that was there because they used to sing that because they were in Division 3 and were sort of laughing at their plight. Now there is a sense of this is, this is not real. Um, I do think that the, the Guardiola thing will change those expectations uh, because, as I said, they've got a, a man with the reputation of being the best manager in the world. Uh, they will expect to conquer Europe, something he didn't do at Bayern, obviously. Um, so that that will change things. But, yeah, City, um, as you say, Ken, when I go to that ground, uh, it, it obviously it's a different ground to Main Road as it was when I used to go when I was a, uh, a youngster, but this is a very, very different club. And uh, you can understand why fans find it difficult to just bridge that change. You mentioned, John, that they, uh, Man City now have let United slip into a position where they will take the Champions League spot if they win their last two games. But uh, according to Manchester United legend Paul Scholes, bonkers manager Louis van Gaal is not interested in scoring goals to apply a tabloid headline to... What, uh, or, to, or, to, or to use the selection of the words Paul Scholes used. Okay, yeah. So anyway, he says, look, maybe he's, it's just that he's not interested in scoring goals. I think he judges a performance on possession. If he comes in after a game and scores one goal, maybe had five or six shots on target, like Leicester, but at 70% possession, I think he's much more happy with that. He judges his performances on how much possession he had. Is is Paul Scholes correct on that? I don't, does Louis van Gaal do expected goals? Do we know that? Uh, oh, I don't know, yeah. <laughs> um. Actually, I went to Norwich actually on Saturday. Uh, listen, Paul Scholes is obviously, uh, well, we've known this for a long time, got a bee in his bonnet about Louis van Gaal. Um, United were poor, very poor. Uh, though Norwich were poorer, and that's why Manchester United won the game. Uh, and they got a bit lucky that Bassong made the mistake that let uh, Rooney set up one matter. But, you know, considering that United could put the hammer down to Manchester City, that was a performance with very little passion in it and also uh, Van Gaal had you know left Marcus Rashford out he dropped Dali Blind um, and then suddenly he pays the price because Martial pulls up in the uh, warm-up again which happened actually last time 
out of the Jitland game where, um, of course, Rashford appeared, but this time he wasn't so lucky. But he got lucky because we were playing against a Norwich team who haven't scored since April the 2nd. Um, but yeah, I've got to agree. Uh, I don't, I don't agree, agree fully with Skulls because there seems to be something personal there. But um, watching Manchester United, again, painful, painful. I'm amazed at how miserable Paul Scholes is consistently. You know, I mean, I've seen him. He, he, he obviously has has been quite critical on, on a number of occasions. And, so, and you could think, well, maybe Scholes is just in a bad mood. But no, this is the way Scholes is. He's always critical. And it's so obvious why Marcus Rashford didn't play. It's because Louis van Gaal doesn't want the same thing that happened to Anthony Marshall yesterday. That happened to Rashford. You know, you've got two players of you know similar age as Marshall, the tiny little bit older, but two young players who've played a lot of games, who can't necessarily do that. Who don't really have the strength uh, to do that in the way that they they can they maybe will in, in six or seven years' time. So he leaves them out because they do have the FA. What are you saving him for? Skull said. Well, the FA Cup final, I would imagine, is one of the things uh, on Louis Van Gaal's mind. Uh, and he doesn't want the player to get injured, so he gives him a rest. It's a, it's a really simple situation. Does Skulls want this guy played until he gets run into the ground the, the way that Michael Owen was 20 years ago? Wait, I don't know. I think the thing is with Paul Skulls, I, I often think about him. What's that thing they say? It's much easier to write a bad review than it is a good review. Um, and Paul Skulls is, let's say this, limited as a pundit. Uh, he has pretty much one speed, and that is misery. <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, people that, that know Skulls, uh, who've chatted, that I know that have spoken to Skulls, he's fairly one dimensional, his views. What do you think of Man United? Crap. You know, what do you, you know, then there's no, his ability to expand on that, beyond that, isn't, hasn't really developed at all as a pundit. Ferguson called of, him a man of excellent opinions, I remember in his in his uh, more recent book. Well, well, maybe it was just that Fergie would say, what do you think of this, Scalzi? Crap, right, that'll do. You know, move on to the next What do you think of Juan Veron, uh, Scalzi? (laughs) Crap, okay, he's gone. (laughs) Well, yeah. But, you know, that's not to say that his judgment is completely awry because I think in many... in many cases, he is right about Louis van Gaal at Manchester United. It has been... um, I said that word again, painful for, for Manchester United fans to watch, painful for those that travelled all the way to Norwich on Saturday morning. But, yeah, he, he perhaps needs to expand on his views a little bit more. It will be interesting to see if uh, Jose Mourinho or, or indeed Ryan Giggs, the next manager, how much approval they get. Of course, if it's Ryan Giggs and Paul Scholes is still a pundit, then we'll have to see the bright, shiny, happy... Uh, happy, clappy Paul Scholes, which I really look forward to seeing. All right, John, brilliant stuff. Thanks a million. Cheers, lad. Yeah, I like that uh, description of Paul Scholes' commentary. He has one speed, and that, that speed is misery. Negative yeah. football. Uh, yeah, you're right. I know, it, it, could, it could start wearing thin, the Paul Scholes brand of analysis, I think. Has it worn thin? Is it wearing thin? No, I don't think so. Uh, yes. I still find it funny. I do still find it funny when he has these goals, when he just, how miserable he looks a lot of the time, and... Uh, you know he does. He does give it to you straight. Mm. Boring. Um, I don't know how many layers there are to the. Well, the thing the thing about skulls is that I think he is maybe uh, John John suggested one dimensional, and I think he is. But uh, in and and the way and one way in which he's one dimensional is I think he's only interested in Manchester United. You know what I mean? He's. I think his view of the football world is essentially Manchester United. And then all these other teams. And how the other teams relate to Manchester United. I remember I was talking to someone about this who said, you know, Skulls, for instance, um, you know, the, the person had worked with Skulls and said, you know, for instance, say if, you, if you're like, oh, Southampton, what do you think of them? Uh, he'd be like, well, three easy points. You know, still thinking in terms of yeah, uh, you know how, how he would look at them as a, as a, how, or how he looked at them as a Man United player, you know they're you know don't I don't really take them particularly seriously. Lads, it's Southampton. That kind that kind of thing, and I think he, which which is natural considering he spent his whole life at that club. He played you know seven hundred odd games or whatever it was. Um, it's natural that he would have a certain Manchester United perspective, and maybe the problem that he has is that ever since he's been a pundit. It's been Louis van Gaal as the manager of uh, Manchester United, and he obviously doesn't like van Gaal. He doesn't 
respect uh, the kind of football that Van Hal is trying to introduce. I don't think he really understands what Van Hal is trying to do. He doesn't seem to be making a huge effort to understand what Van Hal is trying to do. Maybe he thinks it's a waste of time. He thinks this is just all nonsense or bonkers or whatever. It's, it's clearly not what Manchester United is about. And because he is such a great figure in the history of that club, you, you still have to respect what he says. It, that will still be the case in 10 years. Mm. Even if he, if, he, if he purveys 10 more years of going, this is bonkers, I don't understand any of it. You will still have to go, you will still have to respect what Paul Scholes thinks purely because of who he is and, and what he did in the game, I think. We've got another podcast out today. It's going to feature... What are we talking about? Clare's win in the hurling, their first league title since 78. 78. 1978, yeah, and uh, joyous scenes there. And also the Leicester City of the rugby world will be discussed, Murph. You know what I'm talking about there? Oh, it's uh, my boys in green, Connacht. Your you boys mean? in green, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, indeed, they have clinched themselves a home semi-final in the Pro 12. So we'll chat about that as well. If you missed the Kevin Keegan podcast last week, got a lot of good feedback on that one. You can just listen at your leisure, I guess. Thanks very much, Ken. Thank you too, Owen. Thanks, Murph. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Ken. Follow us on Thank Twitter at Second Captains. We'll talk to you later. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.